again, so good to have you in God's house today. don't have an opening text to give you, but we're going to be looking at a lot of Scripture today. But this morning I want to talk about salvation, past, present, and future. Salvation, past, present, and future. All of the Scriptures today will be on your handout. They'll also be on the screen. But I would encourage you today to fill in your outline, jot down some notes. And I believe today's message will be an encouragement to you. Let me say by way of introduction that when you and I think of salvation, it should fill us with gratitude and it should fill us with praise. Knowing that we are saved and knowing that we are on our way to heaven should cause us to rejoice and be grateful for what God has done for us. Knowing that we don't have to go to hell, that we don't have to spend eternity separated from Him should cause us to be thankful should cause us to rejoice. It should cause us to celebrate what God has done for us. That we were in the muck and mire. We were dead in sin. Yet God intervened. He stepped in and saved us by His grace. And in that we ought to be able to celebrate and rejoice. Here's what Jesus told His disciples in Luke chapter 10 verse 20. He said, Do not rejoice in this that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. If Jesus is your Savior and your name is written down in the Lamb's book of life, you ought to be able to rejoice. You see, we may not be able to rejoice about the situations we're going through. We may not be able to rejoice because of the problems we have in our lives. But if we are saved and know that we are saved, we can rejoice about our salvation. You may have walked in here today with a heavy heart because of all the needs in your life. People that you love are sick and dealing with all kinds of problems. You've walked in here today and you've got family members that are lost and don't know God. But if you've walked in here today and your sins have been covered by the blood you ought to be able to celebrate you ought to be able to rejoice you ought to be able to sing unto the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because you know where you're headed Amen and let me just say where we're headed we're going to leave all of the problems behind there'll be no more sin there'll be no more sickness there'll be no more graveside services there'll be no more cemeteries where we're headed and because of that I can celebrate today You see, I can rejoice because God has delivered me from sin and I won't have to spend eternity separated from Him. But this morning as we continue our study of salvation, I want us to go a little deeper in what salvation means. So let's answer the question, what is salvation? In the New Testament, the word salvation or the word saved comes from the Greek word sozo. It refers to rescuing or delivering from danger. This word is also used of physical deliverance. It's used of healing. And it's used of release from demonic possession. But I want us to look at it in the spiritual sense, deliverance from sin. Let me ask you, how many are glad that you've been delivered from sin? Over the past few weeks, we've seen that salvation is totally of God and it has nothing to do with us. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. 
But we've also seen that salvation by faith will result in good works. That when you're saved by grace through faith, you'll have a new nature. You'll become a new person. And it will lead to bearing fruit and producing good works from your life. But today I want to show you that salvation appears in Scripture in three tenses. Past, present, and future. I could say it this way. We have been saved. We are being saved. And we will be saved. I'll say it this way. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. We're being saved from the power of sin. And we will be saved from the presence of sin. This speaks of our justification, our sanctification, and our glorification. That's what the Bible refers to when it refers to salvation in three tenses. Let me say, this message could easily be broken up into three weeks worth of preaching. You can take each one of these justification, sanctification, and glorification and preach three different messages. But I'm going to do my best to summarize each one and give you one message covering each of these three points today. So let's look at point number one. We have been saved. In fact, if you ask most Christians or ask most people, are you saved? This is how they respond. I am saved. Referring to a past event. In fact, when you look in the Bible, there are many references that show salvation is a past tense transaction. Romans 8.24 For we were saved, notice that, E.D., if you you remember your English from school, E.D., past tense, we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? Ephesians 2.8, for by grace, notice this, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God. 2 Timothy 1 verse 8 and 9, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God, who has, notice this, saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And then Titus chapter 3, verse 4 and 5, it says, When the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy, what does it say? He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. In these few verses, we see salvation in the past tense. We were saved. You have been saved. He has saved us. This aspect of salvation refers, listen, to the once and for all work in which God delivers us from the penalty of sin. This speaks of our justification or our right standing before God. You see, justification is the act of God whereby those who put their faith in Jesus are declared righteous in God's eyes and are set free from the guilt and punishment for sin. Here's what Paul said in Romans 5.1. Therefore having, notice this past tense, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we were guilty before a holy God and deserving of His wrath, but through faith in Jesus Christ, we are now justified or declared righteous in God's sight. That we were guilty and we were on death row, but through faith in Jesus, God slams down the gavel and says, now you're innocent, now you are acquitted, and now you are no longer guilty. We are justified 
And God sees us now as innocent. We have been saved. That's what it means. And it says, we've been declared righteous. Now let me just point something out when it talks about justification. It means you've been declared righteous, but it don't necessarily mean you've been made righteous. That's the next step, sanctification, becoming holy. In fact, let me say this, that there's a difference between righteousness and holiness. Once you are declared righteous, you can't be more righteous than what you have when you first get saved. Because it's not your righteousness, it's the righteousness of Jesus. And you can't get more righteous than Jesus, amen? His righteousness has been imputed, placed on our account. So you can't get more righteous, and you can get more holy. That's sanctification, that's the next step we'll get to, that's the next point. So I can't be more righteous, but I can be more holy, I can be more godly. And, and, and that's what we're going to have to understand as we get to the next point. But this first point is, we have been saved. It's justification. Our sins are forgiven. All the charges against us are dropped. Our sins are canceled. And it's as though we had never sinned. In fact, let me say it this way. It's as though we had never been a sinner. The Father sees us through Jesus. And so He sees us as redeemed, and He sees you as innocent and so at the moment we trust in Jesus we are saved from sin's penalty hear this forever and some people have a problem with talking about future sins being forgiven but let me just ask you this when Jesus died on the cross how many of your sins were in the future none of us were there over 2,000 years ago when he died were in fact the Bible says that he didn't necessarily die for sins he died for Sin. He who knew no sin became sin. Not plural sins, but he became sin. You see, the reason we commit sins is because we have a sin nature. He died for the sin nature. That old part, that old Adam. That's what he died for. Sins are just the result of that sin nature. That makes sense. So he, he's, he's canceled that sin nature, that sin's penalty. This means we're no longer obligated to pay for the penalty that we deserve because Jesus paid the penalty on our behalf and took care of the sin debt that we had before God. Guess what? You can never pay your debt off to God. I can never pay my debt off to God. But Jesus hung on the cross and He shed His crimson red blood and He cried out, It is finished. He paid it once and for all. And that means you and I don't have to work for it. We don't try to have to earn something He's already paid for. We just simply believe in Him as He draws us to Himself. We put our faith in Him which He gives us as a gift. We trust in Christ and there at that moment we are justified, declared innocent and we now have the righteousness of Christ added to our account. The Bible is clear. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are saved. In fact, let me say this, without justification... You can never say that I am saved. You'll always wonder as to whether or not you are saved and going to heaven. But if justification is a one-time act where God slams the gavel and says, Hey, you're not guilty. You can rest assured, I am saved. That's the only way you can say I'm saved. If it's I'm saved only until I mess up, we're in trouble. 
I'm saved only until I stop doing, fill in the blank. We're all in trouble. But here's the thing. Once God pardons you, guess what? You're pardoned. Amen? It can't be undone. You see, the Bible views justification and salvation as an accomplished, finished transaction that cannot change. Listen to what I'm about to say. You cannot be more saved or less saved than you are when you believed on Jesus. I don't care how many good works you add to it. Don't make it more saved than the person who don't have all the works you do. In God's sight, if you put your faith in Jesus, we're all justified. And guess what? We're on level ground. But this truth leads a lot of people to ask this question. If I'm saved and I'm secure and can't lose salvation, what's the point in good works or living a God-glorifying life? And that leads to the second point of salvation. We are being saved. We're being saved. Our salvation doesn't end with past deliverance from sin's penalty. In addition to this past reality of deliverance, the Scripture also teaches that God is also saving us in the present. The Scriptures show that we're also being saved. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, notice this, are being transformed into the same image, what this, from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Philippians 1.6, in fact, you, you'll see all three right here in this verse. I am certain, this is the New Living Translation, I am certain that God who began the good work, that's past. I've been saved. God began the work. We'll continue. That's me being saved. Until it is finally finished. That's me being saved in the future. You see it all three right here in this one verse. I could have used this one verse and preached the whole message. We'll continue His work until it's finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. But how about Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13? We looked at these last week, I believe. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. You've got to do something. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. This second aspect of salvation is the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in delivering God's people from the power of of sin. We've been justified, saved in the past from the penalty of sin, meaning we won't have to stand before God and give an account for sin because we've been justified. But guess what? Day-to-day living, we still struggle with that old sinful nature. And that's where this part comes in, where the Holy Spirit works in us and through us to try to cleanse us and purify us so that we become more and more like Jesus. This work is called sanctification. We don't hear much preaching today on sanctification, but I believe God still wants to sanctify and set apart His people. Sanctification is the process by which the believer is more and more separated from sin and becomes more and more dedicated to God's standard 
of holiness. Now hear me. Sanctification means we strive to live for God in a way that is pleasing unto Him. Peter tells us, be holy for God is holy. Meaning we're striving to be holy through the help of the Holy Spirit working in our life. But hear me. I don't believe this side of heaven we're going to be totally perfect. This side of heaven we're not going to be totally sinless. I do believe, however, that if you put your faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God is working in your heart, you'll sin less than what you used to. Amen? You may still struggle from now and then, but you're going to struggle a lot less than you used to. At the moment of justification, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of the believer forever. That's what Jesus told the disciples. I'll send you another comforter, and He will not only be with you, He'll be in you forever. And let me just say something else again here. He didn't just say He's going to be with you only until you not mess up. And what he said, he said, he'll be with you forever. We act like the Holy Spirit's going to check out the next day if we mess up. Not what Jesus said. He'll be with you forever. In fact, let me just say this. If we, if we messed up and he checked out every time we messed up, how are we, going to ever be, how are we ever going to feel conviction? Are you ever going to be drawn back to God? You get out of line. That's why the Bible says, grieve not the Holy Spirit. Listen, if he leaves, you can't grieve. Listen, you can't grieve somebody that's not there. We often talk about grieving the Holy Spirit as far as in church. No, that, that's grieving him when he's inside of me. When he tells you, hey, you ought to do this, and you don't do it, you're grieving him. That's what that means. When he's saying, hey, this is the way you ought to walk in, and you don't walk in it, you're grieving Him. And that's, that's why sometimes we struggle feeling His presence. Because we're grieving Him. But we're living our way. Walking according to the flesh rather than according to the Spirit. And we grieve the Spirit of God. But He doesn't pack up and leave. He's just grieved. He's hurt. Think about how, how it is when you're, you're a parent and your kids don't obey you. It grieves you. It hurts you. That's how it is with the Holy Spirit inside of us. We don't kick our kids out of the family. But it hurts us. Same way with the Holy Spirit inside of us. When we don't be obedient, we don't produce fruit, and don't live the way He wants us, it hurts Him. But it didn't walk away and say, I'm not coming back. If He did, we'd be in trouble. We'd stay in our mess. Amen? But this work of sanctification, it is a lifelong process that God does in us where He develops the new life of the believer. Let me just say this. None of us knew how to live the Christian life until we became Christians. And guess what? We're still trying to figure it out. And that's where this work of sanctification comes in. He's helping us to try to figure out how to live the Christian life. Right? Here's what I want to say when it comes to this idea of sanctification and salvation especially. Salvation is much more than just a fire escape from hell. It's also an escape from the world, the flesh, and the devil. You see, God doesn't save us to leave us unchanged. He saves us so that we'll grow in holiness and godliness. But here's the issue. 
It isn't whether your name is in the book of life, but what sort of Christian you become as God works in you to bring you to perfection. The issue isn't whether or not you're going to heaven. The issue is what kind of Christian are you while you live on the earth. Does that make sense to you? You see, justified means, hey, my standing with God is forever settled. But my sanctification determines what kind of Christian I am while I live on this earth. And it's going to determine what kind of rewards I get while I get to heaven. But my belief and faith in Jesus has already settled the fact that I'm going to heaven. But now it comes down to what kind of Christian am I going to be? That makes sense to you? You understand? We got to understand that. Belief is what gets us there. Behavior determines how we spend it when we get there. The rewards. We've got to understand that. And so this, this work of sanctification is God trying to do His work in our life. Now let me say, I believe that God changes a person when He saves them. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. I believe a person that's saved, they'll bear fruit, they'll strive to be obedient, and good works will be produced from their life. But here's the fact. Some believers are more obedient than others, and they bear more fruit than others. But here's the thing. Those who have less fruit and less works are just as saved as those who have all the good works and all the fruit. Let me illustrate it this way. If you've got children, especially if you've got more than one child, are all your children equally obedient? <laughs> Mine aren't. Do you have maybe one that you've got to get on to more than you do others? You've got to stay on top of them. You've got to tell them over and over and over and over again, hey, this is what you're supposed to do. And you got one that seems to be perfect, no matter what you tell them. They jump right to it and they do it. But you got one that's, you got to constantly discipline, got to constantly repeat yourself. And finally they'll do it. Finally they'll be obedient. Finally they'll give in. How many of them talking about? Why would it be any different in God's family? If it's that way with our kids, don't you think God's got some kids like that? That He has to constantly tell them over and over and over, this is what I want you to do, this is how I want you to live, and yet they won't do it, and so they bring His correction, they bring His discipline, until finally they say, okay God, I get the message, and they, they, they do it, and they may not do it willingly and happily, but they do it. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh, but he went. And when he preached, he wasn't happy about preaching. But he became obedient, didn't he? That's how God works with His children. you got some people, they just fall in love with God, and they're immediately, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm going to go do it. And they start working, and they start plowing the field, and they start doing all these things, producing fruit, and doing all kinds of good works. And you got some people, they sit back and just like... God, I know I'm supposed to, but I don't really want to. And God's got to, just go, God's got to work extra hard on them. You've got some people that have no problem laying down some things that they've been dealing with. But you've got some people who struggle with sin. And God has to constantly come back and work and work and work until they start laying things down. But let me just say this. It's not your job or my job to try to change people. It's the Holy Spirit's job to try to sanctify people. Because let me just say this, when we ever try to do the Holy Spirit's job, we'll hurt people and we'll run them off. 
But if we'll preach the gospel and we'll love people, the Holy Spirit will do His work. Amen? Listen, He knows how to clean people up. He knows how to sanctify people. He knows how to not only save people in the past, He knows how to cleanse them in the present. Amen? Because what God starts, God finishes. He'll work in them until they become more and more like Jesus. Let me give you real quickly three aspects of sanctification. First of all, you've got instantaneous sanctification. This refers to our standing before God at the moment we accept Jesus Christ by faith. 1 Corinthians 6.11 And such were some of you, but you were washed. Notice this. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The Christians at Corinth, they've lived ungodly pagan lives, but now they're new creatures in Christ. And Paul says, you were washed and you were sanctified. At the moment you believe in Jesus, guess what? There is justification that takes place, but there is an instantaneous sanctification and set-apartness, that, if that's a word, that takes place. You're set apart. You become God's child. You become one of the called out ones. What it means to be set apart and sanctified. Number two, progressive sanctification. This refers to the lifelong process of growing in holiness. 2 Peter 3.18 Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Notice that. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're to grow. How do you do that? Spend time in the Word. Spend time in prayer. Practice the spiritual disciplines. Attend the house of God. Listen to preaching. This is how you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. You spend time loving on Him, worshiping Him, doing all the things that the Bible tells us to do. This is progressive sanctification. Now let me say this. The New Testament doesn't give us any shortcuts to sanctification. That's what's a lifelong process. Sometimes you take some steps forward and you take some steps back. You fall down, but you get up and you keep moving on. But finally, the third aspect I want to give you is ultimate sanctification. This is the final state which will only be attained when we're fully and completely set apart to God in heaven. Ultimate sanctification. This is, we'll reach this state when we get to heaven. And only when we get to heaven. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you, notice this, completely. And may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, when we stand before God because we put our faith in Jesus, He'll look at us and say, hey, you're blameless. You're without fault. And we'll be sanctified completely. No more sin when we get to heaven. No more struggle when we get to heaven. That's ultimate sanctification. So let me recap it. Instantaneous sanctification has to do with our standing. Progressive sanctification has to do with our spiritual growth. Ultimate sanctification has to do with our eternal state. What we're going to be like when we get to heaven. Rory Lauren said this concerning salvation. He said, It should be noted that the believer is one who is perfect in his position, but he is still being made perfect in his condition. Amen. I'm perfect in my position, but I'm still being made perfect in my condition. Let me say it like this. I'm not what I used to be. 
but I'm not everything I should be yet. Amen? God's still working on me. But let me say this to you about what God sees. God sees you and me as already complete. But guess what? He's not finished yet. I'm not complete yet. You're not complete yet. Not until we get to heaven will we be complete. So God's still working on us. And that is the process of sanctification. That is the process of us being saved from the power of sin. Where sin no longer rules us and drives us to fulfill the desires of the flesh. But let me real quickly give you this third point. We will be saved. We will be saved. We have been saved, we are being saved, but thirdly, we will be saved. What God begins, He finishes. We will experience every aspect of our salvation because God always finishes what He starts. God saves us from start to finish. Let me ask you, why would God save you and leave you incomplete? He wouldn't. God's going to finish. And so the final part of our salvation is our redemptive body. It refers to glorification. The final aspect of salvation, it gives us hope and anticipation. It promises that God will one day deliver us from the presence of sin. Romans 13, 11. Let's look at the scriptures. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Hebrews 9, 28. It says, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time. Notice this, apart for sin for salvation. He's coming back next time to save His people. Philippians 3, 20, 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body according to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. And then here's some favorite verses of mine. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Notice this. Who are kept by the power of God through faith. What does it say? For salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You see, God not only justifies and delivers from the guilt of sin, and He not only sanctifies and delivers from the power of sin, but He also glorifies and delivers us ultimately from the presence of sin. Glorification is the future perfection which will take place when the believer inherits his home in heaven and lives eternally in a new body. Let me just say something to you. This world is not our home. One day we're going to a better place. That's glorification. You see, something still lies ahead in relation to our salvation experience. We're getting a new body someday that will be without sin and fit for eternity. Listen, the body you now live in cannot exist in heaven. It has to be glorified just like the body of Jesus was glorified. The fact that this future deliverance or salvation of our bodies is nearer than when we first believed means that the rapture and the time of His coming is drawing nearer every day. I believe Jesus is closer to coming than He ever has been before. Amen? Listen, the best is yet to come. I'm thankful that I am saved and I'm being saved. 
But guess what? The best is yet to come. If it's been this great so far, I can only imagine what is to come. You see, our one true hope and expectation is to one day see Jesus, be like Jesus, and live with Him forever. No, that's what the Bible refers to as the blessed hope of the believer. Paul says, if we have hope only in this life, we are all men most miserable. I've got hope for the future. Why? Because of Jesus. It's just a matter of time until we experience this final deliverance. There is coming a termination day of all our conflicts and the completion day of all our hopes. Everything we've put our trust in, one day it's going to be completed. In the coming deliverance that we will experience, our bodies will be saved from the presence of sin. Our bodies will be transformed at the rapture into perfect bodies of a new and glorious nature. They will be bodies of glory that will never again commit any type of sin, never experience disease and pain, and bodies that will never fade away or die. Aren't you glad for that? Here's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 51 to 53. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Guess what? There's coming a day where we're going to be called up to meet Jesus in the air and we're going to get glorified bodies that will not decay and will not die and never experience cancer and never experience diabetes and never have to worry about wearing out or fading away. These bodies will be just like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we're looking forward to. That is the blessed hope of the believer. I don't know about you but I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to that day where He'll call me to be with Him forever. And you may have walked in here today and you've got sufferings and you've got problems and you're thinking, I don't know if I can make it. I've got a verse for you. Here's what Paul said. Romans 8, 18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. What you're going through right now doesn't compare to what God has waiting on you. We're going to a land of no more sorrow, of no more pain, of no more sickness, of no more Satan, of no more sin, of no more grieving, of no more weeping. For the Bible says God Himself will wipe every tear away from their eye. I don't know how God's going to do it, but He's going to wipe every tear away. We're going to a place where there'll be no more night. It'll be nothing but pure brightness and brilliance and radiance. For the Son Himself, the S-O-N, will fill that city with His glory. Hallelujah. I'm saved. I'm being saved. There's coming a day I will be saved. In the presence of sin. And never again will I have to fight it. Never again will I have to worry about the whisper, the enemy whispering in my ear, you're not good enough and you're not worthy. Because I'll stand before God faultless and without blemish. And I'll stand in my new body. Amen. Hallelujah. I feel Him this morning. Hallelujah. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. There's coming a future day of final glory and deliverance. Amen? So in closing, 
I thank God today that I have been saved. I'm being saved. And one day I will be saved. However, after looking at these three tenses of salvation, I do want to be clear, there's only one salvation. And this salvation consists of three parts and they are inseparable. There's only one salvation and it comes through Jesus. He's the way, the truth, and the life. It is a salvation that originated in eternity past and it's consummated in eternity future. I want you to understand something about your salvation. It was not an afterthought with God. God's had a plan from before the foundation of the world. Let me say something else. God's not reacting to what's taking place in the world. We act like sometimes God sees everything and God's like, well, I've got to go do something. That's not how God operates. God knows. In fact, God's sovereign. And God has ordained and purposed and planned things. In fact, if the Bible says that the wicked, He's purposed them for the day of destruction. Wrap your head around that. That'll blow your mind, won't it? That's what the Bible says. But I believe Paul sums up our message today in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 through 30. Here's what it says. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to His purpose. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. You see that? Conformed to the image of His Son. That's us being saved. Sanctification. That He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. In other words, those that He, he predestined, those that, he's looked, those that He saw to be saved, those that He's chosen to be saved, He's called them. He's drawn them to Himself. That's what it says. He called. And whom He called, what does it say next? He, he's justified them. And whom He justified, what does it say? He also glorified Listen to what I'm about to say. In God's eyes, our salvation is already done. Start to finish. You know what it says? Those that is justified, he's, he, it didn't say He will glorify them. He said He also glorified. Preacher, I'm not glorified yet. No. None of us are. But God sees He was glorified. Why? Because God works in eternity. Eternity past, eternity future. And God sees it as done. Let me just ask you this real quick because in the coming weeks we'll talk about eternal security. If God's already seen it in eternity, how can you and I undo it in time? Some of your head just kind of exploded like what? He just say. If God's looked at it in time as done, eternity is done, how can I unravel it in time? I can't unravel it in time if it's settled in eternity. Right? If it's settled in eternity from God's perspective, how can I unravel it here in time? I can't. So if I've been saved, you know what the only outcome is? I will be saved. That's it. Because what God starts, He finishes. Amen? Would you stand with me?